0: Before I start, I have a request. I, uh, I'm trying a new hair thing, and my wife is really worried that I'm going to start looking like a televangelist. She's kind of worried about this flop thing. So uh, just feel free to walk up anytime any time and be like, hey, you're trending toward Robert Tilton. We need to fix that. So just let me know. Just ask. Just just making a request. I, uh, I've always been fascinated by explorers. I think they're, they're just kind of nuts, you know, just people who are like, we're going to sail this way. What are we going to find? I don't know let's just see. And uh, that's fascinating to me. And, and, you know, we all know the names Magellan and, uh, Vesp- uh, Gama and, uh, Vespucci and Columbus. Those are the guys who came back. Those aren't the really brave ones. I love the ones who just got lost. I, I don't know. I've got something in my heart for these guys. Like, uh, got one named John Franklin and, and he wasn't, Finding anything that hadn't been explored. He was just supposed to be working on the, the Northwest Passage, you know, the passage up above Canada that could get us to China real quick. And, and uh, so he sails off to find that and never comes back. And two years later, his boat, his ship is found stuck in the ice where they were, uh, where they all starved and froze. And they did some research and they figured out how he got there. Um, these sailors, they were they were smart, man, especially the ones who figured out navigation. And they had this little tool called a sextet. And what you did with that is you would set it on the north star. Because it's always above the north pole. And so you know where that is. So you would set the sextet on the North Pole, on the North Star, and then you would measure other heavenly bodies, stars, the moon, you would kind of set, you know, everything else to meet that. And if you did it correctly, you would know exactly where you were on the planet. I have no, like, these people were smart. I can't, have no idea how they figured that out. I also have no idea what they did when they went to the south part of the planet, but they didn't. So, um, what John Franklin did was his navigator was using the sextant and knew exactly how to use it but he didn't set it on the North Star. And since he didn't set it on the North Star, he just got more and more and more lost until he was lost forever. Now, I use all that to say this. When it comes to issues of romantic love, sexual sin, sexual love, a family we are all setting our sextet on the wrong star. And if you have it set on the wrong thing, then you're going to get more and more lost. And uh, so what I'm, you know, last week we said there is a truth. God has revealed himself, and he has told us the truth about life and how to live it. And today we're going to talk about this the whole category of romantic and sexual sin. But before we do that, we need to establish where the North Star is. And so what I want you to know is that the reason why so many are lost is because they're not setting God and His Word as their North Star. The only way to avoid getting lost is to use God's truth as your guide. Please stand as we read God's word. Two passages that don't get read enough. First, from First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul is giving his advice about um, marriage, and he says this: "Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this: I wish that all were as I myself am, which is single. I wish that all were single." <laughs> But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So to the unmarried and the widows, I said it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And then from Romans chapter 1, this is the result of, of suppressing the truth. Remember We read this last week, that God's revealed himself, he's revealed his truth, but we suppressed suppressed the truth uh, because we didn't love it. And we said this, he says this, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator." who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like grass... And all of our glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The only way to get, avoid getting lost is to set God's word as your north star, to live by it. Now, first of all, I want to talk about the big lie. The big lie, what we all have our sextet set upon, it's not the North Star. What are we all worshiping? Everybody. And when I say all, I mean everybody. We are worshiping two goddesses. We are worshiping the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of romance, the goddess of erotic love, the goddess of of fulfillment, of beauty. And, or, we're worshiping the goddess Hesta, the goddess of the hearth, of the beautiful home, of the rocking chair, with the dog lying by the fireplace, and the children gathered around. We're worshiping those two goddesses. We believe that one or the other of those two goddesses will make us fulfilled, will make us complete. How do I know that these are the two things we're worshiping? Cuz they are law givers and we obey them. They are law givers. I mean, if you want to just get cut in half, just stand up to a couple who are talking about marriage and say, "You know what? I don't think it's wise." And they're just like, "What? How dare you? This is my soulmate." I mean, we. every song you listen to, every movie we watch, every television show, every book we read ends with a marriage because that is fulfillment. That is what we're living for. We believe that we cannot be full. We cannot be complete. You will have something wrong with you. You have something missing from you. If you don't have a romantic attachment, if you're not sexually fulfilled, if you're not, if you don't have the beautiful home, that's just the law. And I I want you to know that that is a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. And uh, it's honestly, it's based on a pop culture understanding of of Freud. That was always wrong. It was. Uh, I learned in history of thought that um, honestly, Freud came up with most of his ideas because these women were coming to see him, and they were all terribly depressed, and they were all talk telling stories about their fathers abusing them, and he just thought, no way, <laughs> that's not, that can't happen, and so he made up all these theories about women wanting their fathers to abuse them. And these theories of sexual fulfillment, and how you're incomplete without it, and you're unhealthy without it. And even though the the professional counselors in the world have rejected the the worst of those ideas years and years and decades ago, pop culture still believes it. You're not healthy if you're not having a, a healthy sexual relationship, you're just not fully human. And that basically means that about two thirds of us are not fully human. Because it's not as common as it sounds. With the idea of a soulmate. The 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 two gods, goddesses, they hang out this this picture, this this image of a soulmate. And if you find the right one, you will be completed. You will be fulfilled. And if you're not completed and you're not fulfilled, then You don't have your soulmate yet. You don't have your soulmate yet. And these things never truly pay off. They never pay off. That's the problem. I'm going to tell you the truth. As the Bible teaches it and as I have experienced it both as a pastor and as a human. Being single is always hard. It's always hard. And it is sometimes devastating. Being married is always hard. And it is sometimes devastating. Being human is always hard. And it is sometimes devastating. Sorry, I really am sorry. You're not lonely because you married the wrong person. I know you sit in the bathtub and you love to dream about who you would marry if, God forbid, something happened to your spouse. Who you, you know, that that person you dated that maybe you should have gone on a second date with. I know you all have those. You wouldn't be any happier. I know some of you single people... Can't believe that it could possibly be worse to be married, and I invite you to come to uh, and next November, we, this November, we'll watch a video called "Surviving the Holidays" as for divorced people. You watch that video and see if you don't think it could get worse. I promise your mind will change, even if you are married. I mean, people, honestly, this is a, this is a. Joke to me, but it's truth. People tend to think I have a great, wonderful, perfect marriage, and it's been good. It's been a blessing to me. I don't in any way say that it's not. But you need to know what's going on behind the curtain. Um, Twelve years ago, we took the little enneagram that everybody's gotten all addicted with. You know, I'm a four, I think. I don't even remember half seven, half whatever. But um, I took it. And I scored above 90 on three different things, which you're not supposed to do. My wife took it, and she did not score above 40 on anything. And the counselor was very concerned. And he said to her, according to this test, you don't have a personality. And she said, he said, when I put these two together, what is clear is that Ricky is so out of control that all you can do is respond to him. I'm glad you laughed. We did not. I mean, I had, you know, if those of you know me long enough know, I could, my mood set the mood for the entire building that I was in. And if I was in a bad mood, which I was about six days out of the week, then plants would wilt as I walked by. Dogs would cower, children would hide, and my wife would stand up and take it. That's what was going on behind the curtain. You also need to know that when we took the Myers-Briggs test um, and got the little romantic thing back, I used to do this for premarital counseling all the time, and you you could pay five bucks and find out what your relationship would look like. Um, when, so I was like, hey, Bianca, let's do that together. And so we took that one together, and it said these words. What she considers a good and normal life, he will experience as a prison for his soul. Yeah, our marriage is perfect. It's always hard. It's always hard, and it is sometimes devastating. What the, the Bible does not promise you a beautiful home with quiet, obedient children, and you know that if you've gone for it. I had a beautiful home with quiet, obedient children, and I got it by almost torturing them. If your children are afraid enough, they'll be quiet and obedient. Good for you. Good job. And I have spent the better part of the last 20 years apologizing. I had to take my sixth grader out for ice cream one day and say, Buddy, I punished you too hard and too often, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he looked at me like, What are you talking about? It's okay. That, that's the big lie, the big lie of this this beautiful home, the big lie of I would be so much better off if God would just fulfill my promises. How do we know it's a lie? Because you've made God a servant of that lie. And you're mad at God for not giving you the goddess that you live for. You're mad that God hasn't given you the home you want. You're mad that God hasn't given you the spouse you want. And and you're what that reveals about you is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say you, us. What that reveals about us is we're using God to get what we want. And that's what's really important to us. But The Bible doesn't teach that at all. You know what the Bible actually teaches? When Jesus looked at his disciples and said that marriage is forever what God has joined together, let no man put par- pull asunder, the disciples looked at him and said, if that's true, if we have to stay married for life, it would be better not to get married. And Jesus said, Yeah. If you can take that, yes. But not everyone can, can do that. Some make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God, and some are born that way. But if you can if you can do it, that would actually be better for you. You know what the apostle Paul says? He said it right there, we read it, it's clear, it's in your bulletin. It's better to be single. The single person can focus their mind on the kingdom of God. Now, you want a caveat, you want me to say, ah, but he didn't really mean it. I can't do that. My job depends upon me believing the word of God. And that's what he said. It's better to be single. I wish you were all single. But it's better to get married than to burn with passion. What is the song? And, and, And for those of you who are younger and you're dating and you're getting serious in dating far too early, You fully intend to go to college one day and grad school and you don't really think that marriage is something that's possible for the next eight years, but you're dating anyway and you're getting all those feelings stirred up and you're feeling all those things that you are hardwired to feel when you are touched in certain ways in certain places. You know what the Bible says? Song of Solomon, the most erotic of all the books in the Bible, says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it is time. Don't do that. That's what the Bible says. That's not very romantic, Ricky. Let's move on. So, if that's what the Bible actually teaches about lies, and we find that to be much more accurate than the goddesses out there who are lying to us through Hallmark TV every night... Then what? What's the truth? What's the wonderful truth? And I got really, really good news for you. But let me hammer in the bad news first. The reason why you feel like there is something missing in your life that only a spouse could fulfill, that only a baby could fulfill, only another spouse could fulfill. The reason why you feel that there is something missing in your life is because there is something missing in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. Sin has alienated us from ourselves, from everybody else, and from God. Sin has alienated us and makes us feel lonely, and nobody avoids that. I love the way Russell Brand says it the most. Russell Brand is a comic, uh, an English comic, English from Britain, whatever, you don't care. Um, Well known for being um, an addict, a heroin addict, and dealing with that honestly and openly. And In the best article I've read by him, he says, Everybody thought I had a heroin problem. I don't have a heroin problem. I got a life problem. Heroin's the answer. And it was a bad answer, and it made life worse. And, and we see that over and over again. People, especially, one, one day I was sitting with a, a young, young woman, and um, her, her father had left when she was two. And her mother was never alone. She had four more husbands and uh, six boyfriends in between living with them. And this girl had never been alone from the time she was 12. She had a boyfriend. She lost her virginity at a terribly young age. And as she was telling me her testimony of all this, it's just so sad. And I looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry. I wish I could rewrite your biography. And if I could, I wouldn't erase all these uh, boyfriends and husbands that you've had. I would give you a daddy. I I just finished a great book. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called How to Stay Married. And uh, in it, he had the wife who the wife commits has an affair. But she describes her life. Her dad left when she was a teenager. He left very publicly and, and shamefully. And was no longer a part of her life. And she said that the whole time she was in college, she was living out that book, Are You My Mama? You know, the little book we read to children. Are You, you know, there's a little bird going around going, Are you my mama? Are you my mama? And she said, I was just walking around to every man I met and saying, Are you my daddy? Will you be my daddy? And she was very broken and miserable. And that led to a lot of just incredibly broken things. I... I You are broken not because you're single. It's not your spouse's fault. You don't need a better job to make you fulfilled. You don't need to change your gender to make you fulfilled. You feel that void because you're broken, and only one thing will complete you. One thing will complete you, and it is not what you think. It is not a personal relationship with Jesus that will not fulfill you. The only place you're going to get fulfilled is Ephesians 5. What does Paul say? He's talking about marriage, we think. It's the text we always read at marriages. And then he says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but is gentle, cleansing it like Christ does the church. Because we are one with his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For as it says, the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this sentence that everybody ignores. This is a great mystery. But it's talking about Christ and the church. If you want to be fulfilled, if you want to have that which was taken away from you at creation, at at your birth, given back to you if you want to experience that you have to experience christ in the church where you will be loved and known where you have friends and and confidants where you can express your true self and have your true ugly self be loved and if you don't have that in the church if it's just you and jesus you will never move toward healing i'm sorry that's just not, that's not the promise. You can have all the quiet times you want. You can memorize all the scripture you want. If you're not in the church, if you're not in relationship in the church, you won't experience the fullness of what God has for you. You won't fully experience it. The, the goal for your life is to be filled with God, to experience him in all his fullness. It's a beautiful promise. And that won't happen until the resurrection we're moving towards that, and you won't even be moving towards that if you stay alone. That is what completes you, Christ and the church. And and the number one problem that we live with is profound loneliness. The Surgeon General named loneliness as as a threat to American health. And that's not going to get healed by a personal relationship with Jesus. It will be healed if you will come into the church and make friends and make this your community and your family. And when gay Christians have stood up and talked about their lives, um, Wesley Hill, Greg Johnson, uh, Andre Nowen, the, the the single thing they've talked about more than anything else is profound loneliness because the church hasn't stepped in church is just, we focus the church on you and Jesus, and when it's always been us and Jesus, us around Jesus, and if you're single and you're in this body and you feel profound loneliness, I am sorry we have failed you. I'm sorry we have failed you. You shouldn't. And we, we want to give you friends. We want to give you deep, real relationships. And we want you to experience this wonderful truth. i got to hurry. but There will be time for questions in a minute. Now, let's talk about the gifts of faith, love, and repentance. Um, let's talk about repentance first. Now, I know, um, know you all thought I was going to talk about uh, LGBT. Okay? Here it comes. Let's talk about it now. Let's talk about it in this context. Uh, first of all, the que- the question for repentance. The first question of repentance is, Church, what is your stance toward gay people? What is your stance? Uh, another way of asking it is, why, if if, conservatively speaking, one uh, one in five people is is gay or struggles with their sexual orientation or however you want to say it. Why is one in five people in this church not? Why do gay men and women not feel comfortable here? I had a friend in seminary named Alex. And Alex was he was hilarious and he was quirky. And I'll tell you Alex stories, but I only got five more minutes. And uh, after he graduated seminary and was ordained, we found out that the whole time he was in seminary and all through his ministry, he had been driving through the night to Atlanta or to Tulsa, actually. And, um, and going to gay nightclubs and, and just pouring himself out there. And, and when we asked him about it, when he finally trusted us enough to tell us, he said, Guys, it had nothing to do with the sex. I just wanted to be hugged, I wanted to be embraced by somebody who knew what I was. If you feel that, if you're in this church and you feel that, I am sorry. I am sorry. The problem that there are so... Let me do this one carefully here. You know what C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, John Stott, and Billy Graham all had in common? They all insisted that the church have open doors for gay and lesbian people and would be warm and receive them as no worse sinner than anyone else. And so the, really the first place for us to start with our repentance is repenting of our bigotry. Well, what do I mean? Let's just visualize yourself in a communion line, okay? You're holding out the communion plate. First guy walks up to you, you know he's a racist, right? right? The, the, the worst, foulest, racist joke I've ever heard was told to me by, by a church treasurer, okay? You know what he's like. And what do you say to him? the body of Christ, take and eat. Next, a couple walks up. You know they've been living together, but they're sweet, and they're cute, and they're going to get married eventually. They're just saving up money for the big wedding, and everybody knows that. And so what do you say to them? The body of Christ, take and eat. The next guy person walks up, and he's he's dressed to the nines in a thousands of dollar suit and he has gold watch and rings and you know that he's running dead up but he just cares so much about what people think of him that he's a slave to it and you know that vanity is a deadly sin but what do you say to him the body of Christ take and eat. and, and somebody walks up in old clothes and their wife walks up in a, a five-year-old dress because uh, the, the husband won't allow her to spend any money because he has saved every penny that he's ever made because he lives for that stuff and it's the, the, what he worships and he doesn't give to the church because he can't let go of any of his money and you know that greed is one of the deadly sins but what do you say to him the body of Christ take and eat and then two men walk up holding hands and what do you say uh-uh now in this church. Why? I'm not saying we should open the door to uh, openly sinful practices. I'm saying that we should treat everybody the same. And we don't. And that's hard. And our, our gay population knows what to expect from an evangelical church. They've got the bruises to to show for it. We all need to repent of those sins and how we've talked about, laughed at, and alienated gay men and women. And if you are uh, gay and in this church and you haven't told anybody, then I want to call you to repent of not trusting us and not telling us. We can only love the you that we know. And the healthiest gay men I know have told their community groups and and live in the light of the gospel. We We do and will call you to celibacy, and that's why I started out talking about the goddesses, because if you are worshiping at the goddess of Hesta or the goddess of Aphrodite, then it would be cruel to call someone to celibacy. But if you're following Jesus and the apostle Paul, And you know that it's not. You know that it's not. That's what repentance looks like. Faith looks like feasting on the gospel and trusting Christ with your singleness and and trusting him to make you complete in the church. It looks like celibacy while you are single. It looks like pursuing and loving your spouse when you were married. It looks like being honest and gracious with your children. It looks like trusting the church with your sin, whatever sin it is. And I know those of you who are struggling with sexual temptation, you're struggling with pornography, and you haven't told anybody that you're struggling because you're never going to do it again. Right? Every morning, every night, you say to yourself, well, I won't do that again. I don't need to confess it to anybody because I'm never going to do it again. How many times have you said that? When will you believe that the only way you're going to get through that struggle is with community and, and the support of your brothers and sisters in the church? When are you going to trust us? And finally, what does it mean to love sexual sinners? Um, And I'm sorry I got to this so late, but uh, it means loving them, embracing them, but not encouraging sin. We we believe the Bible, and on the Bible's authority, we believe that we are designed to, for monogamous uh well we're designed for christ and if we can't stay single we need to marry a believer and be faithful to that one believer and so we don't encourage anybody to pursue sin and um yeah i'm gonna go and use this i need one more minute um Okay, I'm old enough to say this, and I think it's true. And this is kind of on me, um, but I want you to hear it. One of the things that we're seeing right now is teenagers in mass, uh, especially teenage girls, discovering that they're transgender or gay. And it is spreading like a social... Uh, disease, frankly, it's, um, it's 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 growing the way harmful things have tended to grow. So when I was in high school, um, the the thing that this unhealthy thing that was growing was suicide, actually, and there was a there was a mass suicide. Uh, four four teenagers in Kentucky uh, locked themselves in the in a garage, turned on the car engine, and and slowly. Uh, all died together, and that started a, a trend, honestly, across the country of teenage suicide. There was even a movie about it called Heathers. Um, and then when I was in college, the trend became anorexia, and people—and what, what's going on is people feel this emptiness. They feel, And gosh, you, you remember, for those of you who are older— and teenagers, I just want you to know, we get you. You remember how it felt when you first realized you were not fulfilled, you weren't complete. And it was horrible, and it was hard. And you felt like you were going through the world with a spotlight on you, and every pimple you had was just, right? And, uh, and, and nobody liked you, and that was a hard way to live. And so people found different ways of dealing with it boys retreated into sports or retreated into video games and they still have girls tended to do things together they're more social for whatever reason i don't know don't ask me to explain it when i was in college it was anorexia there was no one anorexic and then karen carpenter died of anorexia and all of a sudden it was everywhere and then it was bulimia and then it was cutting. I remember the first time I knew someone who was cutting, and it was just awful. And she was taking a razor blade and slicing her shoulder open. And uh, you know, and then it became a nationwide thing. And the Nine Inch Nails sang a song about it. And well, Johnny Cash sang it better. Um, and it became just a, a nationwide kind of no big deal. Hey, don't do that. And then, um, and most recently, I believe it's become. Tra- be, being transgender, and, and essentially, what we're doing is we're we're feeling that terrible, empty, yucky feeling of life, and feeling inadequate, and and, and just, and some people have very traumatic lives, and we turn all of our discontentment on our gender. Now, I, I know there's always been gender dysphoria, and I'm not trying to oversimplify. Um, But I am saying this. When our best friends were anorexic and they looked and they were terribly thin and they looked in the mirror and said, I'm so fat. We didn't come along behind them and go, you're right, you do need to lose some weight. And when our friends were cutting themselves uh, because they felt numb and they just wanted to have some pain that they could localize, we didn't come up to, behind them with knives going, you know, if you cut yourself in the leg, it'd probably hurt better. But if I'm right, and transgenderism is, is the new way of dealing with the pain of life, the reason why it's becoming epidemic is nobody's willing to say, buddy, you've got to love yourself the way you are. I personally think it's a very cruel thing to walk up to somebody and go, you're right, you're so broken that you need to change your gender. I think that's a cruel thing to say. Now, you don't just walk around saying it. You don't broadcast that on Facebook. That's not the point. But it was, if you have somebody's trust and, you, and they love you and they know you love them, I personally think the most loving thing you can say is to say, you are perfect the way you are and I want you to come and accept it. I want you to accept the you you are. Again, that's free advice. You feel free to reject it. I think it's biblical. Let's pray, and then you all are free to text your questions. Father in heaven, um, we confess our sin to you. We confess uh, the sin of of worshiping romantic love. We confess the sin of worshiping the perfect household. We confess how we have... um, in some cases, abused our children or our spouses. We've left our spouses. We've blamed them for not being perfect. Uh, Father, we, we confess all of those things, that we're just, we haven't followed you. And we confess that our churches haven't been consistent, and there are sins that we have made friends with, and we don't mind at all, and there are other sins that just frankly disgust us. And so what we call righteousness is actually, in the many cases, bigotry. We confess that, Lord. Pray. We pray you would make us better. And we confess, Lord, that we've turned in on ourselves and, and we've not invited the single believers among us to come celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas and we've made them to feel uh, their own loneliness and, and take that as a proof that there's something wrong and undesirable about them. And that is terrible and we confess that is sin. Father, we would not even dare to gather together in your presence if we didn't know that you are kind and merciful. Would you forgive us our sins? Would you give us clean hearts and make us into the people we know you've created us to be? In Jesus' precious name we pray.